You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast, a podcast where we talk about the intersection of faith and social justice and what a first century Jewish prophet of the poor from Galilee offers us today in our work of love, compassion, and justice. To support this podcast, go to renewedheartministries.com and click donate. And in other words, a preferential option means a deliberate choice among many possibilities and the choice to prefer those whom the present system is marginalizing or making vulnerable to harm. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Jesus for Everyone podcast. My name is Herb Montgomery, and this is episode 377. Our title this week is A Preferential Option for the Excluded, and our reading is from the Gospel of Mark. This is Mark 5, 21 through 43. It's a little long, so just bear with me, and then we'll start to unpack it uh, right after we're finished here. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live. So he went with him, and a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for twelve years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, for she said, If I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease, immediately aware that power had gone forth from him. Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And the disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say, Who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, and the brother of James. And when they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he was he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this, they were overcome with amazement, and he strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. The story of Jairus's daughter and I 
uh, have some history. Over 20 years ago now, uh, between our elder daughter and our younger daughter, Crystal and I went through the horrible experience of having two stillbirths back to back. And during this chapter of our lives, uh, we were both pretty fundamentalist at that time. And the story of Jairus's daughter, especially that phrase, Talitha Kum, uh, it held special meaning for us. But today, the story is meaningful for me in different reasons. Uh, as is typical of the Gospel of Mark, our reading this week includes one story being interrupted by another story. Mark repeatedly uses the narrative technique of interrupting one story with a secondary one. And the first story, it's used to envelop that second story and direct the listener's focus and their understanding toward both. So, so we're meant to compare these two, two stories, giving both of these stories space to explain each other. One of the, the one hint of this is their parallelism. Jairus's daughter is 12 years old and the woman with the, the vaginal hemorrhage has suffered for 12 years as well. The contrasting social locations of these recipients of Jesus's work is one of the most consequential comparisons for our justice work today and we'll discuss that more in a moment which uh, social location here in this story is being centered. There is so much to address in both of these stories, and so much that's worth exploring. But but in our limited time this week, what I want to explore is the woman's willingness to violate the letter of the Torah and her community's taboos about uncleanliness and touching, uh, the, uh, especially touching those considered to be unclean, and and her her action that that by violating those rules, how she arrives at that life-giving spirit and intention of the Torah, according to her interpretation. And imagine how the woman in the story had to wrestle with the Torah's commands to find the courage to actually even reach out and touch even the hem of Jesus's garment. In, in uh, Leviticus 15, 19 through 25, it says, when a woman has a regular flow of blood, the impurity of her monthly period will last seven days and anyone who touches her will be unclean till evening. Anything she lies on during her period will be unclean and anything she sits on will be unclean. Anyone who touches her bed will be unclean. They must wash their clothes and bathe with water and they will be unclean till evening. Anyone who touches any Anything she sits on will be unclean. They must wash their clothes and bathe with water, and they will be unclean till evening. Whether it is the bed or anything she was sitting on, when anyone touches it, they will be unclean till evening. If a man has sexual relations with her and her monthly flow touches him, he will be unclean for seven days. Any bed he lies on will be unclean. When a woman has a dis discharge of blood for many days at a time other than her monthly period or, or has has a discharge that continues beyond her period, she will be unclean as long as she has the discharge, just as in the days of her period. In the longest of the Dead Sea Scrolls, the, the Temple Scroll, we read of, of special places, quarantine spaces, that were to be kept outside the city, and its population was used for, for lepers and, and those with skin diseases or those 
as we just read, it's actually quote unquote states afflicted with discharge, menstruating women and women giving birth. You can find this in John Mayer's uh, The Temporal Scroll and Introduction, Translation and Commentary, page 14. But there is this special place, this quarantine location that this woman would have been forced to live in outside of and away from her community. This passage from Leviticus 2, the social taboos for those considered unclean and and restricting those considered unclean to areas designated for quarantine away from the rest of the community, I think that gives us a hint. It might explain why she was so reluctant to come forward in the story, why she was afraid or terrified, and she feared possibly some type of reprisal for the violation of even being in the crowd, bumping into each other, much less actually touching Jesus too. And this leads me back to the subject of social location, which we talked about earlier, and the tension that we find in this narrative between the stories of Jairus's daughter and the woman who was sick for 12 years. Not all teachings are universal, and I want to make that clear. Today, some things are acceptable for those in marginalized social locations, but not acceptable or possibly even offensive if practiced by those who are more centered or socially privileged. And these are these are things that, for example, there are things that, that uh, like women can say uh, and do that men shouldn't. There are actions appropriate for black communities and other communities of color that are not acceptable for white people. During Pride Month, for example, which is this month, June, there are some actions that straight people should not do because they would be appropriative. Remember, social location matters. When we read this week's narrative, we typically contrast the social locations of Jairus, a named synagogue leader, and this nameless woman. She isn't even given a name. A nameless woman in the story who, because of her condition, is meant to live her life in quarantine and exile from the rest of the community, including her family. But the story actually prioritizes and centers this marginalized woman over the named male synagogue leader. And this is what liberation theologians refer to as a preferential option. The word preferential, it means a preference or partiality, and it implies favor or privilege. The word option, it doesn't mean that the preference is optional, but rather implies a choice between multiple possibilities, multiple options. And in other words, a preferential option means a deliberate choice among many possibilities, and the choice to prefer those whom the present system is marginalizing or making vulnerable to harm. Those are the ones that uh, the Jesus story typically preferences. And in this story, Jesus practices a preferential option for someone his society is excluding, and he deliberately chooses to prioritize her over someone his society shows great preference for. The fact that the male, the named male synagogue leader even gets a name in this story while the woman remains nameless is a hint to us. So consider for a moment as we talk about this, trying to wrap our heads around 
a preferential option. If this is a new idea for you, consider the playground teeter-totter for a moment. When one side is lifted up higher than the other, placing the same equal force on both ends of the board would result in no change whatsoever. Equal Equality there would create no change. For the board to balance, one side must receive more upward pressure while the other side is left alone. And in the same way, in a hospital, more critical cases are prioritized over less critical ones. And it's not because some lives are more valuable than others, but because some lives are in, in danger of greater threat. And this is exactly the reality that's missed by those who respond to Black Lives Matter with All Lives Matter. It's because All Lives Matter that Black Lives Matter. Black lives are under greater threat in our present system, and therefore Jesus followers especially should practice a preferential option for black lives. The practice of a preferential option is also at the heart of the reparations debate, which received a lot of media attention this spring around the anniversary of the Tulsa massacre. Tulsa was not an isolated event. And all throughout this country, systems and individuals who practice a, a preferential option for whiteness, they've stolen generational wealth from black communities. For equity to be re established and for distributive justice to be achieved, we must now practice a preferential option for those whose material wealth has been stolen. In the game of Monopoly, you can't give one player an advantage and then halfway through the game say preferential options are now unfair, so now no one gets any special treatment. That would leave the original preferential treatment in place and untouched. A preferential option, quite the opposite, now has to be applied that benefits those who have been disenfranchised until each person can experience an equitable chance in the game. Only then will both sides of the table be playing with the same rules. And Pride Month is another example. The LGBTQ community has been shamed into hiding, denied basic human rights of employment and housing and basic accommodations. And so during Pride Month, people can reject that shame and heterosexist attempt to lay Label, uh, who have attempted to label them as less than, they can reject all of that. Pride is not, as some Christians say, a rejection of humility. Pride for the LGBTQ community rejects being labeled as less uh, of less worth than others. And those who are, are today falsely claiming that we should also have a straight Pride Month, they ignore the fact that we already have 12 months in the year when straight people are prioritized and told that they belong. As an LGBTQ friend of mine says, LGBTQ pride is the opposite of shame, not the opposite of humility. So, so what this story doesn't address, though, uh, is the way that Jairus's daughter remains subsumed by him, by her dad's, her father's social location. A good question for us to wrestle with today is what is the right preferential option for Jairus? daughter, the actual patient, does she have to pay for the social location of her father? In the end, though, Jairus's daughter also receives healing. In the end, both parties receive what they need. But in this narrative, to arrive there, Jesus chose a preferential option for a nameless woman. He prioritized his stopping and taking care of this nameless woman who had been forced to live on the outside of her community over priority 
prioritizing the named leader that typically would have received priority over others. So this week, who is the Jesus story calling you to practice a preferential option for? Heart Group Application, share something that spoke to you from this week's eSight or podcast episode with your heart group. Number two, again, who is Jesus? Who is the Jesus story calling you to practice a preferential option for this week? And share that with your group. And then number three, what can you do this week, big or small, to continue setting in motion the work of shaping our world into a safe, compassionate, just home for everyone? Thanks for checking in with us today. Right where you are, keep living in love, choosing compassion, taking action, and working towards justice. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week.